Welcome to Collector's Corner, the premier digital art platform. We help collectors gain and maintain their edge, all while appreciating beautiful art. Let's jump in. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Collector's Corner. Today, Jared and I are very, very excited because we have a great friend, Simon, with us, who you may know him online, on Twitter or Discord, as Simon says. He is a fantastic generative art collector. Honestly, I didn't even tell you this before recording, but you are one of the best collectors. And I am actively trying to copy trade your wallets. Uh, <laughs> just kidding. But you've been at, at your peril. At, I don't know about that. And we see your Zankin in the background. This this is an audio only episode, but we were talking before about uh, Simon Says's uh, Zankin one of one that he got in person in New York at the Javits Center, which is absolutely beautiful. Um, some of our favorite of Zankin's work. But we're here to more talk about more than Simon as a collector. But Simon also is a director at Crypto for Charity and has run actually a few NFT auctions. He he runs the NFT and the crypto community giving aspects of crypto for charity. So we want to highlight that. A lot of uh, interesting stuff coming up with that given U.S. capital gains taxes crossing over a year for a lot of these NFTs as they gained in value. So we'll let him talk about that. But, you know, this is kind of a combination collector spotlight because you are such a fabulous collector as well as sort of around the corner. Like what do we see coming in the future, especially as it pertains to crypto and charity and NFTs as, as the space grows? So you know, I'm I'm here with my co-host and great friend Jared. Uh wanted to just throw it back to both of you guys. Maybe Jared, you go first. How are you doing today? Uh, you know, I always like to say live in the dream. And although it's still living the dream, I am uh absolutely just uh, erratic right now. I've got the the fund launching November first. So just getting all my ducks in a row is uh it's been more challenging than anticipated. So I'm a little bit more scatterbrained than normal. Uh, but other than that, I'm doing exceptional. I lead a you know very, very blessed life, so I'm happy. Well, we, we look forward to hearing more about that. And I'm I'm the more scatterbrained one. So if, if you're coming down with me, then we might have problems. But we have a very grounded, rational, logical person with us today. So Simon, how are you today? Uh, I'm doing all right. My uh, my kid is homesick from school, so there's been some some juggling there uh, today, but but otherwise otherwise doing fine and kind of gearing up for uh, Q4, which is the the biggest giving season of the year, um, and trying to trying to get a bunch of fun things lined up for these last couple months. Awesome. Well, I, we want to hear all about that, but maybe we could just dive into a little bit of how you got into this generative art world and yeah, like you, you're such great taste. And, and I, I really, I'm not just saying this, like you have the best stuff. So I'd just love to hear your journey into generative art and, and crypto in general. Uh, well, thank you for the very kind um, intro. And I think probably more complimentary than I deserve, but um, take it where you can get it, you know? Um, I, so I, I came to generative art collecting, um, from a sort of, I basically went, spent much of 2021. So maybe let's call it something like February until the summer, um, spending a lot of time doing like DeFi, DGen stuff. Like I was 
doing polygon yield farming and and like you know d- doing like deposit eth on ave get out usdc buy more eth deposit the eth to buy more us you know like that kind of like stupid leverage shit um and uh and and mostly dismissed whenever i heard it i was very much on like the reddit side of things rather than the crypto twitter side of things um and very rarely doing much in discord and ha- always kind of dismissed nfts as you know some some combo of stupid scam ponzi whatever um just didn't click for me at all um until something happened that made art blocks finally pierce my veil of ignorance and um it just it just clicked for me I'm someone who has spent a lot of time around art. Uh, my my wife is an art historian and like her job, she works as a professional at the Yale University Art Gallery, which is a uh, substantial, like a major, major museum. Um, one of, if not the oldest art museums in the United States, in fact. Um, and uh, if you're ever coming through New Haven, you should, you should give it a look. It's pretty impressive. Uh, but, um, you know, m- more so like we've, throughout our lives, you know, like I've, I went to art museums a lot as a kid. I sort of taught this stuff was important. My wife and I have, as we've gone through our lives, accumulated a a pretty small and, you know, very modest collection, but we've had an eye toward, you know, buying pieces of art here and there as we, as we go through life. Um, And certainly like to think I have, somewhat of an eye and a sense of like, oh, this is really cool. I really like this. Um, this seems artistically interesting um, versus not. And when I kind of finally took a look at art blocks, it was like, oh shit, I I I both find this stuff interesting from a at a visual level and at a conceptual level. And I I get the blockchainness of it. Like it just the penny dropped for me of like this is it's actually important that this is an in the format of an nft and not just um not just a, a digital artwork that exists outside of the context of the blockchain um and then basically you know the, the next few months were a process of me just like successively liquidating every single defi position i held to buy more art blocks um and and you know in the occasional other thing i got into some photography stuff as well um, had a brief dalliance in September of last year with Hen, the um, Hicket Nunk, the kind of early, early Tezos art. But that was the like, uh, you know, I, I got some Tez and then I spent it all and then Hen collapsed. And then I just kind of like ignored it until June of this year, um, much to my chagrin uh, in retrospect. But um, but have, have a couple cool early pieces um, that I picked up in that first binge. Um, and then, you know, managed in various ways to like, really feel like I found, found my people, which is weird in given my past, because like, you know, my, my career has primarily been in like political advocacy and organizing. Um, I spent several years working for Greenpeace. I worked for the Obama campaign. I, um, did some tech organizing when I was at Mozilla um, you know, worked with, did consulting for a bunch of other big NGOs like Oxfam and UNICEF and stuff like that. So it's like a world that's very, very separate from the one I've now found myself in. 
Um, but I just sort of kept being drawn drawn into and back to it. And when I was doing consulting that wasn't related to the space, I just found it um, not what I wanted to be doing, right? Um, and yeah, and so, you know, that's sort of where, where I got to. And so um, I spent a bunch of time really diving into, into gen art, um, picked up, you know, went, went a bit nuts in the August and September, especially last year when everything was just going to the moon, um, had a ludicrous amount of like paper gains that I never actually realized in like, or like I realized, I realized them as far as the IRS is concerned, but like not as far as like my bank account was concerned, you know, um, cause just, you know, made, made some, made some errors there, but, but, you know, managed to, to clean myself up. Um, and, and like, you know, so had a, had a pretty like down bad, um, let's say, especially December, like, like late November and December of last year in terms of my own collecting, but that coincided with Brailler's Dow getting off the ground. Right. And we got a bunch of these incomplete controls in the, tre- in the, the, you know, the, in the Dow. And I was pretty involved in helping us secure some of those and, and then did the in-person like Ms played a big role in helping to liaise for the Dow for the in-person mint stuff in, in New York incomplete control for, I, m- I imagine the, the listeners of this podcast are, are pretty up on series like this, but incomplete control for anyone who doesn't know is the follow-up series after Fidenza from Tyler Hobbs. Um, and it was, uh, it was released as a series of 100 live mints done at the bright moments gallery in New York last year, um, which was both, it was a wonderful experience and also a super spreader event at which I and many, many other people got COVID. Um, the, and yeah, so, and then, you know, like moving into this year, uh, have really been able to kind of double down on a lot of this stuff. I think I've been able to, um, pare my collection down a bit. I'm, I sort of, I feel a lot better about a lot of the pieces I have now. Um, and have really tried to focus on not just buying everything I like a little bit, but really thinking a bit more consciously about, um, you know, do I like it a lot and why? Um, and, uh, and then using this downtime to do what I can to pick up some pieces that really, I think will stand the test of time and are, are kind of worth, worth really focusing on. Um, I've also in the last couple of weeks gone on a bit of a one of ones binge of non gen art, um, which has been sort of interesting to dive into. I had a big sale um, of I think I I sold at least the local top on the Snowfro mint passes for the Mexico City um, collection. I like sold one for thirty five ETH on the sort of first day after the auction, um, and turned have turned that into like. A bunch of different things, basically, um, and have now pretty much worked through all of it, um, and and need to kind of take a take a chill again, um, unless and until some other stuff sells. Um, but feel really good about where things have gone, and like you know, sort of watching watching the market and have some some fiat left ready to deploy, but also feels like I don't really want to be doing a lot of fiat to ETH conversion right in this moment. Um, for, for those listening to this later, we're, we're at a time where token price on ETH has, has jumped to around 1500 after spending a while at 1300 and doesn't really seem like... Major pump. My, that yeah, came my in like six like, hours. 
Yeah, and like my, you know, I, I could be wrong. I'm not a a token trader, but like, or at least not a successful one. But um, it definitely doesn't doesn't seem to me like this is like a durable pump, at least on a, the scale of months. And so I'm not really interested in converting a lot right now. But um, um, but yeah, have a bit, and then and then you know we'll we'll see what we'll see what comes, what the what the new year brings. Um, and I and I should also say start you know I mentioned this briefly, but in late June. I decided to like retake the plunge back into FX hash and Tezos side collecting and have been pretty active there. Um, I think I, I would imagine that I spend probably 70 to 80% of my like collector brain time thinking about stuff happening on Tez as opposed to on ETH. Um, but uh, not necessarily that. It's certainly not that same ratio in terms of like, money spent total um but have feel feel like i've i have like I've, I have a lot of faith that like long run i think it'll be a a chain where there's a lot of really interesting art produced and value accrued and um feel good about a lot of what i've managed to pick up there on a pretty long time horizon not least the um zancan Zan, the aforementioned um zancan new york city lush temples um one of one that's displayed behind me, um, but also managed to pick up a garden monoliths um, as well as a bunch of other kind of like beta grills. I've heard them referred to things like Contrapuntos and Salas. And um, I'd say those are my two and dragons um, are probably my three, three favorite series aside from uh, the GM. That's awesome. So, so many, well, I mean, look, first of all, congrats on all the great pickups. People can't see the screen right now. You also have a a bold squiggle in an infinite objects back there, and I believe a meridian, yes, uh, sir, way back in your hallway. So you you have a a great eye, like we mentioned. And I'm curious. You said that you're focusing a little bit more on things that you think can stand the test of time. What kind of things are you looking for? I think our listeners would love to hear it. They hear it from us all the time, but I'm curious to yeah. how you think of it. I mean, I worry it's like a kind of consensus opinion now. Like I don't I don't know that I have anything wildly original to add here, but um I I tend I tend to think about um visual appeal at a kind of very basic level. Like I don't see very much succeeding that isn't at least interesting to look at um you know even if not like catchy it doesn't all have to be like a taylor swift pop song in terms of like immediate like eye candy appeal um making the music to art and out you know visual art analogy or whatever but like there's got to be something that's like attractive i think about what you're looking at when it when it comes to a lot of this stuff i mean certainly in terms of like what we've seen in the market so far like very little sells that isn't um at, at least like wall hangable once display tech moves along. Right. Um, there's, I, I think the artist really matters. Um, right. And so like there's, I'm far more interested and willing to put a chunk of money into something that like is an artist that other people have, have that there seems to be some consensus around and, that definitely means that I miss some of the super early works of up and coming folks, I think. Um, 
And so I try to I try to balance that and I do try to pick up some things if I like it, if I like them and they're pretty cheap and whatever um, from someone I haven't heard of, I'll definitely take some flyers on folks um, and have been trying to do that a little bit more, especially on that sort of one of one side that I mentioned. Um, but at the same time, they, like people, people joke, you know, when, when something's like, you know, uh, whatever 20 Tez that you'll, and you're like, ah, I don't really feel this, that you'll like it a lot more at 800. Um, and like, there actually is something very real about that, right? That like, it's like with wine, right? Like people, like if you give someone two identical sips of wine, one from a bottle you tell them costs five bucks, another from a bottle you tell them costs $500, they'll substantially rate the $500 wine better, right? Um, and like, there is something, there is something real there where, we are, I, I am at a baseline collecting things that I enjoy and want to, and and find artistic, like sort of artistic merit in. But, but then when it also comes to actually, what am I going to spend my money on? I'd like to spend money on something that I think is going to at least hold its value. And ideally, ideally more than that. Um, and so I think when I, when I say the artist matters, that means like w- what artistic sort of production are they coming from? Or like what artistic background are they coming from? Doesn't need, mean they needed to go to some fancy art school, but like, have they been producing? Are they are they a committed artist who's actually interested in being a member of the space in the community over the long haul? Or is it someone who like learned to code last year and is throwing this together because it's a way to make a buck? Um, and, and, you know, it may well be that that's where they're starting and they very much intend to keep with it because it's going to, continue to be to be the way to make a buck um but someone who's been like practicing as a generative artist for years is a far more compelling buy to me than someone who learned it two months ago um and you know i i do find like i, I think no- novelty uh can can lead one to think about like trinkets right and, I, and I, so i don't mean novelty in that use of the word but people doing something that seems original, I think is a really big thing, right? And like, and that can also mean things that have then been copied a million times. Um, but, you know, I think that one of the really compelling arguments behind a garden monolith still being a reasonable buy at 25,000 Tevs or whatever is that they're, like, they really paved the way on generative art doing natural landscape forms in a gorgeous way. Um, and, you know, if I, it's, it is entire, obviously like many, many people are doing that now. Um, and so it's, if, if what you want is a cool piece of art, that's a generative landscape and you just want to display it somewhere, then like, yeah, there's, there's many that you can get that for two Tez. Um, but I think there's, there's reason to think, that uh you know it, it is it is it is gorgeous aesthetically period but also it comes in this broader context of what zancan has meant to generative art specifically on tezos but not just on tezos um and kind of the the importance that others are are putting into the piece yeah really well said i think it gives me comfort in that I reached a somewhat similar conclusion about the artist and also about the, I'm probably overusing the term, but the provenance, 
Like Zankan really nailed this style. May not have been the first person to do it, but I feel like he really nailed it. And that's why it's propagating and part of why it's so prominent. Similar with Tyler Hobbs and Flowfields. He was not the first person to use Flowfields, but I keep hearing over and over with Fidenza that it, it's the, uh, almost the perfect utilization or it, it just manifested in a way that resulted in people seeing it differently now. And you, you sort of can't unsee it type of a thing. Uh, sure. And these artists are everything, also... Everything becomes a Denza copy. Kind right. Of in, in, in the collector eye, even if even from people who have been using flow fields just as long as Tyler's been using flow fields. Right. Right. If and not longer. I, I just have one more question about you as a collector and I'll, I'll, I'll let Jared go. What do you think it is about Tezos that's attracting you over there? Is it just the price point? Is there something else that you think is is drawing your attention? I, I definitely can't. I think it's the price point is what was the first. So I mean, certainly back in September of last year when I when I jumped over first, it was like price point because you know it was in retrospect some of the prices on Tez were still pretty high compared to like where the market is now, um, but compared to where the ETH market was at the time, it was still it was felt like I had stumbled into a flea market essentially. Um, right. And it was just like, Oh shit, I can buy awesome stuff. I can buy a Matt Delorier thing for 200 bucks. Like, Holy shit. You know? Um, and the, I am coming back to it now. There's, and because there is so much less in terms of barrier to entry for artists to release, you get a lot of stuff that is pretty uninteresting, but you also get a lot of stuff that is absolutely just as, if not just as good, if not much more interesting and better than a lot of stuff that winds up coming out on art blocks, for instance, but from artists who either didn't feel like they were going to get accepted or just didn't want to bother waiting, wanted to just release and, and get on with it. Um, and so, you know, I don't know if like Lunarian um, the artist behind Solace. Uh, I don't know if they applied to art blocks and were denied. I don't know if they were like, I don't want to wait, whatever. But like Solace is an incredible series that absolutely would be at home amongst top ranks of art blocks, some art blocks, certainly some art block series, if not, um, and like would kill as a factory at, at release at minimum, right? And like, but it's on test, right? And Contrapuntos is a wonderful series. Like it, it is this incredible, it is this like playful, it is beautiful visually, but it's playful and sort of musical and all this stuff. Um, you know, something like Takata, uh, which is a gorgeous blend of music and and visual. Uh, you know, wonderful series that absolutely would be at home on ETH, but they're like a quarter of the price and just come out at a breakneck pace on, on Tez. Um, and then on the, the other side of it is I think that generally um, I prefer the feel of collecting on Tez. Like not, a, not in terms of like literally UX, the UX of buying something on FX hash, but like what it's like to spend time right now in, and I guess maybe less so now it's, it's, it's started to get, started to feel a, a bit more ETH-y, I guess, in some ways, as more attention has come. But like certainly June, July, 
um, when I got there, it still, it felt very, um, like sort of like less, not unspoiled, but like less spoiled by the kind of ETH pump and dump type mentality around projects, um, which I think tends to dominate a lot. Uh, you know, we have the three of us, a, a lovely little home, home in Grailers where we can, where we can be like substantially sheltered from some of that. Like I spend, uh, probably like, you know, 40 to one is like the breakdown of how much time I spend in Grailers versus how much time I spend in block talk these days. But like, um, you know, it's, it's like, it's much more, I get this, it's much more of a kind of an actual sense of community on Tez than I get when I spend time in almost any like ETH project discord. Um, and I just find that really nice. And like all the artists are hanging out as well. And it's just, um, I don't know. I mean, everyone, everyone is super, everyone I've met in person from this space, uh, on either chain has been super friendly in person. Um, with, and like, you know, that's, that's not, that's true on both, on both chains, but there's definitely more of a sense of like, because the, like the, the, I'm, there, I'm sure there are a few people who've, who've gotten quite wealthy from investing super early in, or buying, collecting super early from FX hash. But like, for the most part, even the whales or the seeming whales who have all this, all these early pieces are like, they've made like a couple hundred K from it, which is like, which is cool. That's great. I'm like, it's really, I'm happy for them. And that would be a lot of money for me. And it would be a lot of money for a lot of people, but it's not like life-changing money for um, that many people in this. This that's like what a obnoxiously privileged thing I'm saying, but like, like there's obviously it's like wildly life-changing money for a lot of people, but it's like, it, it's not the literally like deca millions that, you know, a JDH or a Von Mies or like some of the big AB collectors made. And I think that like the fact that even the people who did really well are still like, they're not like wildly rich off of it now and are have like, fuck you money. They're just like, they made some money off of the buys and it's cool. Um, I think that that also kind of inflects a little bit of the, of the atmosphere. There's no sense of like, all these motherfuckers who got here early and just like, don't have to worry about life anymore, you know? Um, and not that I have like, I don't know. I feel like that little jag makes it feel like I have this like seething resentment toward the people who got to AB earlier than me, which I do not have. No, um, but, but it's like, I just feel like there's this kind of, there's like a general amity around everything that happens on Tez that isn't always true, but is like true much more often. Um, cause like the sums are less life-changing in any direction. So like you buy the top on something like I've bought, I've bought the top on like a bunch of projects that have like cratered in value on Tezos. But like, that means I paid like 400 Tez and now they're 200 or whatever. It's like, I wouldn't sneeze at paying that in gas on a, on a, on a fucking hot mint. So like, whatever, you know, you like, it's just like, it's much easier to just kind of brush it off and not worry about it. Um, then when something and when you buy something for for twenty ETH, then it it winds up the end of the year worth three. Yeah, I which, think that FX has ends up being an interesting playground, and and I feel like we've just been like fanboying over FX hash in general with Aston and I. Mm. I'm glad you feel the same way. I love watching all your posts in the in the Grailers Tez channel. 
But I think there's an interesting dynamic there. I mean, when you look at uh, something, somebody like Mapon, whose dragons released, and it's arguably, it means half the cost of a anti-cyclone, you know, and, and that was the, you know, arguably one of his first drops uh, in a large format. And, and it's yeah. cool to see that like artists are getting exposure at a low entry point, lower entry point, you know, on FX hash. And to your point, the, the quality isn't necessarily as consistent as maybe an art blocks release, but overall it just, uh, it feels like it has like a, a culture of community and support of the artist to allow for that. Uh, yeah. I mean, the thing that comes to mind is the September release. I, I'm sure you guys both have it. I, I, I unfortunately was, uh, indisposed at the time and just haven't, uh, jumped in, but you know, that's, I believe that's the artist's first release on. Oh no. FX. Oh no. He, oh, it's very much not the, the artist's first release. See, um, the, it's like 15 series before that. All right. See, I haven't done my research on that, but the point is, is to me is like, it's incredible art. It doesn't like what I'm liking yeah. about FX hash is that it's agnostic to, to a release location and, and, and you're able to jump in and, and have this just like stellar release because I mean, I always, I, I, I equate it to this as like, Jimi Hendrix, right? Like how many songs did he have that we never got to hear because it wasn't, I'll call it endorsed by a major record label or sure. somebody like there, I'm sure there's a bunch of stuff that uh, unfortunately will never be heard. It's locked away in a vault or in his head. Uh, and, and to me, FX hash seems to be that playground where people can get the stuff out of their head and into the world and just kind of get the, the feedback of, of what's um, what's amazing. So I don't know. Yeah. I, I really enjoy it. And I mean, I just, I've been on silent the whole time because I've been scrolling through both your uh, FX hash wallet and, and your DECA gallery uh, in amazement. But, you know, I, I really do think that uh, you're onto something there. And I think that the other point I wanted to, you know, maybe pivot to was, I think you're being somewhat humble. And I mean that as a, a compliment because being, you know, a founder of Grailers and, your connection to the philanthropic community and seeing what you've done there. I, I really would say, you know, you're an influencer. So as people start to see what you're doing and, you know, as Aston indicated in the opening of this is you're going to start seeing wallet tracking. And, and when people who are as respected as you, and, and you take such a incredible approach to eye appeal and that becomes honored over time, and and withstands the test of time. You know, I, I look forward to. I'll, I'll maybe do some more wallet stocking, but just as a, an observer, I appreciate all your posts in Grailers because it's a, uh, it, it's eye opening, and and I can tell you definitively, uh, more hardcore people are coming to the space and they're listening to to what you're saying. So, you know, I, I think we I'll give credit where credits due, but you know, your your nod to a series is is definitely well respected, and it. I think it goes a long way to, to validation. So even just like what you've it's, dropped today for certain sure. projects is it's, it's a testament to to the quality of art. Thanks. I I appreciate that. Um, I think uh, to, to jumping off in, into sort of related directions um, uh, in ways that allow me to not have to dwell on the embarrassing praise. Um one, I think, like I, I, I agree. You know, I think there's like a, a now, you know, the analogy again. This is not. I don't think it's an original thought, but like, FX hash and Tez feels like your like, you know, deep, um, your like bedsty 
um, artist, you know, art, 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 art studio space versus your like polished um, Soho gallery space, right? It's just like, um, it feels much more playful. It feels more, a little more alive in some ways, um, more experimental. Uh, and that's good and bad, right? Like that means that a lot of some, like some good, you're, you're much less uh, guaranteed of like, uh, of a return, I guess, right. On, on some, on some of what you're doing though. I think like we often overestimate the degree to which something you buy in the, in the either figurative or actual Soho gallery probably guarantees that either. Um, but like, it just feels, it feels much more bohemian. Right. Um, I think one of the things that's interesting as well is like, the combination of the low price, uh, the lower price point of stuff and the relatively small edition sizes gives some interesting, like some interesting pricing dynamics in some of these series, right? So you have a collector like Le Monde 2D um, who seemingly has endless ether Tez. Um, I don't know. I don't know his deal. Um, he seems to have done very well for himself and we'll just be like, I like this series. I'm going to buy 30% of the supply. You know, it seems that way. And that's not actually what, it, you know, people, he'll buy like 10 out of 200, um, he goes hard. when he, when he likes a series. Right. And like, yep. and he won't, he generally doesn't mint. He generally waits till to secondary to see what, what he likes. Um, and, you know, I, like he's someone whose liquidity I certainly admire and whose eye I admire. Like, I think his, his, like, it, you know, I am, I don't think I'm, I am largely not collecting with as long term of an eye as he is. Um, I think he is really purely like collecting on a decade's time horizon. And like, there are a couple of pieces that I hold that I very much intend to hold that long. But like, I'm also f- fully like cognizant cognizant enough of my own self to know that if prices go bananas on certain things, I will be very happy to sell them and 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 take some profits. Um, and that means I'm less focused on like buying six coordinating Septembers or whatever, right? Um, but like, I mean, his eye is incredible. But but what can happen is like he'll decide to go in on something. And that fundamentally alters the market dynamics of that project in an enduring way, right? Like he, he, cause he both takes a chunk of supply off the table and he sort of indicates to other collectors, like I think to anything you said about the degree to which folks respect my curation, um, I think is, is, you know, quadruply so at least for, Lamont, right? And so I think that like if people are like, if this is like a, a project, I will say I was like, what's the the project from earlier today that Exalted released? Um, I'm I'm currently, as I as I mentioned, kind of in a pretty low liquidity moment because I've gone on this spree over the last few weeks. And so I hadn't planned on anything. But when I saw him going in, I was like, all right, I'll get one. Cause it was still at like 50, it was like four, I got one for like 49 Tez. And it's like, sure, you know, it's a it's a flyer. It's like maybe it, maybe it goes the route of September, and I'd much rather have a few misses at that and it ultimately bleeds out to 30 or whatever, then like then be sitting totally on the sideline sidelines, even though I didn't have, <clears throat> I was like doing work stuff and I didn't have time to like really digest the drop or pick. I just like went in and bought one. 
for an amount of Tez that I still had in my wallet. Um, but I think, isn't it really interesting? Like, cause you have lots of releases of that size on Artbox and other ETH platforms, but generally speaking, they don't stick at a, you can't pick them up for 0.1, you know, 0.01 ETH or whatever, 0.05 ETH for very long. Yeah, no, I I literally just went into the September uh, activity history and Lemon 2D literally picked up 20 right in a row, completely yeah. agnostic to... And what I love about this individual's buying is it, it buys all over, right? It's not just the floor. It's, yeah. it's just, it's to your point, a, a great eye. And I think that uh, it's a really interesting data point that you shared with the listenership. And, you know, it's a, it's a great wallet to follow. Yeah, yeah. Um and yeah, that was true. You know, September, luckily, I minted two. And so I still have both. Um, but like, it's the kind of thing where, yeah, if you, you know, the difference between buying in pre his onslaught and and post it is pretty substantial, right? Yeah. Um, I've been sitting here nodding because I love everything you've been saying. And I I want to just like summarize a couple of thoughts and then move on to crypto for charity so we have enough time yeah. to talk about that. But I love how you were talking about how you found your community earlier. I feel very much so the same, especially in Grailers. It just feels, can't even put really, it feels right. And I love the mix of people there. Is something about this combination art crypto world that is very intriguing to me and very interesting the dynamic there and so i i think you're saying something like that and, and i agree with that i think it's really cool you mentioned tezos we've been talking about fx hash i spend probably just as much time in the tezos channel in grailers as i do in the domain channel so i i find that interesting that i'm, I'm drawn to that as well and i do think the openness not having a, a curation board anyone can launch a project of course leads to more noise but allows for more experimentation and the lower price point allows for artists to actually see which experiments are working or not because people can go and collect at a much lower price point, especially in a bear market. So I'm really excited because I, I truly believe that this rampant ex innovation and experimentation, sorry, this rampant experimentation will lead to innovations that can grow. And one thing that I talked to Jared about, I, I've asked him like three times because I'm like trying to make sure my math is right. The number one selling project is Garden Monoliths that hasn't even hit a million Tezos in secondary sales. And a million Tezos is not even two million US dollars. It's probably one and a half now. I don't know what happened with the Tezos price recently. There's a, a like ringer. 1.4, 1.5, something like that. Yeah, there's a ringer that sold for $5 million, right? So like we're not even like ringer one NFT. For like $8 million. <laughs> right. Like one NFT on, on Ethereum, one Gen R NFT has covered all of the volume that has existed yeah. on FX hash. I just think we're extremely early and I believe that some of those innovations will come to fruition. And hopefully the folks who get really wealthy off of that continue to stay humble and approachable like you were talking about. But I I, I feel it, it coming and I feel just volume profiles. I don't have stats, but just it feels like something's happening over there that's attracting me as well in a way that I can't describe and and uh, yeah i'd love to hear if you have any thoughts on that and then would, would love to dive into crypto for charity because i really want to make sure we highlight that sure yeah no i mean i, I think that's generally even yeah i was just i just pulled up the <clears throat> fx hash all-time volume 
Um, you know, GMs have 800K secondary sales. Um, you know, I think there's, I wouldn't shock me at all. Some, there's a, it's probably closer to a million if you actually, so like, for instance, the GM that I own, I bought for 22 ETH OTC. We still paid royalties, but like it was all on ETH basically. And then the person I bought it from just sent me the token on Tez. And so like, that's not captured in the thing, but it really ought to be just from that instead of 805.5 thousand, it ought to be whatever, 827.5 thousand, right? Um, and so like, I'm sure there's, I'm sure there's plenty of transactions that have occurred like that. Um, sure, but we're probably still an order of magnitude or two off. But yeah, for sure. Yeah, it's like it's it's like, but it's it's it, yeah. In in the general scheme of things, we're still like it's maybe about a million, and like that's wildly off of like all time highs, and not to mention collection highs on something like like if you like in my mind, GMs are up there with ringers and denzas in the like where they'll be in the sort of gen art pantheon um as sort of pure art right where i think squiggles are like kind of on their own level and you could put them above or below but it's kind of a different it's a different type of project in my mind um because it's not it's not a pure art project in the same way um and yeah in that if from that perspective like it's wildly below but interestingly right like the the sort of current prices on them aren't that far off. Like it's currently we're at basically like two to one for GMs to ringers, right? Or like three to one for GMs to Denzas. Um, it's like, it's not that far. It's it's much less far off than the total volume would indicate. Um, and I think that's an, an interesting data point as well is like you have some, who, who knows what the GM volumes would be like if it were a thousand piece collection like ringers and Denzas it might actually not be that different because ultimately, you know, the much higher supply would mean you'd have a lot more trading at the prices of like a Contrapuntos, for instance, which is still down around a thousand lower even um, with a 770 some piece collection. Uh, And like, I don't know, but I think I, I certainly agree. And I think it'll be interesting. It'll be interesting to track. Like there's, there's reason to think that bigger ETH collectors bigger fun and like and funds are going to be more and more entering tezos as you know multi-sig wallets actually proliferate in particular like that seems like a big thing that's like that kept grailers out of making any purchase like there was a conversation in grailers about buying a gm a while ago um and ultimately it couldn't progress because there was like well what are you going to do with it right um <laughs> like we can't there's no we, there's no wallet to keep it in um, and so, or to do so, no way to do so securely as a, <clears throat> as an, as a collective. Right. Um, and so there's like, like there's stuff like that. And just as people get more and more comfort with, um, with thinking about either with thinking about Tezos as a chain with longevity or being comfortable with the idea of like cross-chain assets and what's important is the art and, that it's and you know it's on IPFS, not on chain. But does that no, not not like on chain in code in the same way as AB. But does that really matter at all? Is there really any difference between the you know like and 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 opinions will differ right on all that stuff. But um, I could I certainly 
ultimately by the thesis that more people will wind up on Tezos than are there now. And I think proportionally more will wind up on Tezos than on ETH in terms of like high-end art stuff. Um, I'll also say, I, you know, I find when I talk when I talk to people who are not in the space about generative art, it's always Tezos that I point them to as like a place to start, right? Because like it's any person who has enough money to live comfortably in a wealthy country has enough money to do some collecting on Tezos. That's not true on ETH, right? Like it's just not, but it is true on Tezos. Like anyone, like literally you can take 20 bucks and buy yourself six interesting pieces of art. They might not appreciate, they might not have any value aside from like it's art you own, but like that's six pieces of interesting art you own for 20 bucks. And that on its own is like a really interesting experience and like pretty revolutionary. Like that's not a thing that's in most people's um, capacity absent this technology. Um, and that's really cool. And so like, so I do think there's, and, and you know, if, if, if lots and lots of people take that step, like some portion of them are going to walk up that ladder and get more, more engaged and fall or whatever, I guess it's, you know, fall down the, fall down the rabbit hole rather than walk up. Thinking, there's an analogy in political organizing of a, the ladder of engagement of like getting someone to do a, a small action. And then you can get them to do, take kind of progressively bigger actions, which is why um, if you ever donated to a political campaign, you get slaughtered by text messages asking you to do something to do like one more thing. Um, but the, like, you know, it's, it's easy to imagine someone finding that fun and then going deeper and deeper. I have a friend who uh, I like red pilled on NFTs when I wasn't into Tezos stuff with the Jeff Davis reflections um, mint. He like, I sort of convinced him to, you know, not, not promising any financial returns, but like, was like, this should be fun. I think the piece will do well over time. It's probably worth an ETH to, to buy in or was like 1.25 or something. And so he came with me to Bright Moments and we minted our pieces um, back last year. And then he like he had no intention of flipping it, but it was like became clear that he could probably sell it for like four and a half. And so he did. And he like tripled his money in, you know, three days. <laughs> um, and of course, then he like uh, unfortunately found his way into a bunch of like shitty PFP <laughs> things, thinking he was going to kind of endlessly flip those. And I think wound up. Um, mostly losing what he what I what he made but uh but like it was that kind of pure art experience that got him in and i think there's a lot of people who like you can now do that on tez with <laughs> with like 20 bucks instead of 1500 or at the time whatever one and a quarter eth was probably four grand or something i don't know yeah i mean you you said it better than i could it's the pure art experience and you are somebody who has a lot of experience with art well before blockchain as you were saying before and i think that pure art experience is will drive people to tezos i i really believe that i think that's what's happening with us and you take the pressure off of the price points and you can just buy stuff like you said for folks who are well to do in sort of these western countries and, and some other places as well but certainly a hundred dollars you know these days you spend that in a week on 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 coffee almost right i mean just the way that prices are yeah but yeah, and, and you alluded to uh, actually political, well, th this is not political at all, but uh, just giving in general and how you can start and 
how that can evolve and you can keep up with that behavior. So I, I'd love to just transition over a little bit to crypto for charity. Yeah. I mean, you know me, I could talk to you for hours about this stuff, but I want to make sure we highlight this because I think this is really important and, and you all have done some really cool stuff, uh, especially on the NFT side. Um, yeah. So, you know, we, so crypto for charity is um, a zero fee marketplace. Sorry. I don't know why I like often say the word marketplace there. I don't mean it. Zero fee platform uh, that enables donation of crypto assets to charity. Right. So um, the easiest case of that is like literally you come to our homepage and you want to donate ETH to a charity. So you fill out the thing and there's an address to send it to. And there you go. You can connect with MetaMask and all good. Um, there's a, um, there's a kind of baseline thing here to do with tax savings, which is, um, if you hold a non-cash asset of any kind, um, so this could be a crypto or a stock or, um, I mean, these days a car, a house, uh, yeah, um, a house. I mean, I feel like you're less likely to donate a house to charity, but I'm sure some people do it. Um, but if you've, if you've owned on this non-cash asset and it for more than 12 months and it has appreciated since you purchased it, um, then you can, and, and you have a way, you have a charity that can accept the donation in kind, like the, the actual asset itself without having to liquidate it to cash, then you can get, take a deduction for and you're like eligible for tax deductions and stuff and you itemize on your returns and yada, 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 you know, disclaimers, disclaimers. Um, then you can take a deduction for the full fair market value of the gift. So whatever it's worth when you make the donation. Um, and you don't have to pay any capital gains taxes, right? So if you think about, so say you have $100 of cash that you were planning to donate to Oxfam. And you also have $100 of Bitcoin that you bought in 2016 for 10 bucks. If you donate the $100 of cash, you got a $100 tax deduction. Great. If you donate the $100 of Bitcoin, you also get the $100 tax deduction. And you never have to pay tax on the gain between $10 and $100. So there's that $90 of gain that goes untaxed. And if you want, you can simply take that $100 you were going to donate, buy Bitcoin with it, and reset your tax, your cost basis, right? So now you've stepped up the, the cost basis of that $10 Bitcoin to $100. And then in the future, you'll only owe taxes on the appreciation above $100. This, this is brilliant. Uh, J- Jared's taking notes for his fund. <laughs> yeah, Jared seems very enthused about this. I, I, I'm just kidding. He, he's not taking notes. But no, no, actually, that makes but, that's a really, really interesting. And I think the punchline is you are a charity that can accept in-kind NFTs. Yeah. And so, so basically, so we act as like, so, so, so basically, so crypto for charity is part of a broader company called free will, um, which works on primarily facilitating donations through um, bequests left in estates. So like getting people, basically, if you go to freewill.com, you can make a will for free um, and you'll be prompted to leave some portion of your estate to charity. Uh, you don't have to, but that's the the whole idea. And it's, it was this whole thing that we see throughout human behavior where like, if you're, if you're nudged in the right way at the right time to take an altruistic step, you'll be inclined to do so, but it has to be kind of in the right moment in the right way. Um, and so, so, so we are basically a product of 
free will the company. Um, and we, we're doing free, we're doing real time gifts. So like our stuff has nothing to do with the wills stuff as such from a consumer perspective, from a user perspective. Um, but we then have a charity that we you know work very closely with with sort of air quotes like it's it is a different legal entity um, called Free Will Impact Fund, um, which takes which accepts the gifts. Um, that are made and issues tax receipts. So a free will impact fund is a, is a tax deductible 501c3. Um, we issue ta- free will impact fund issues tax receipts to donors um, and then liquidates the gift to cash and then grants out the gifts that were made, like grants, grants out the cash um, to the sort of ultimate charity that was indicated when the donor uh Made the made the gift subject to grant making policies and their eligibility and all that sort of stuff. Um, but so and that's done in a, so basically what you know if if you donate if you make a donation of ETH, what's actually happening is we then generate a Gemini wallet that you send the ETH to. We liquidate the ETH to USD and then do an ACH transfer of cash of the cash that comes out of that transaction to the charity you indicated. Um, with there are like two other kind of main formats of giving that we facilitate. One is, and one that I'm like particularly interested in and and really trying to actively build more partnerships around is donations through NFT drops, right? This is sort of pioneered by Artblocks where, um, I mean, I'm sure people gave donations through smart contract prior to Artblocks. I don't want to claim otherwise, but I think Artblocks deserves a ton of credit for sort of driving forward the idea that if you're making a ton of money on a drop, it's a very reasonable thing to expect you to donate some of it. Um, And so we can very, very easily facilitate like providing you with a wallet address where you can just put in, drop into your contract and say, send, you know, send 25% of the proceeds to this address. And then, you know, you don't as the artist or as the purchaser, get a tax deduction from any of that money. But as the artist or as the person, as the sort of the creator, um, what you get then is the ability to um, not have to account for and deduct against that income, right? So it's just money you never saw. It never came to you. You never took, it was never income to you, which means it's not, it's not realized income. You don't deduct against it, but you also don't have to deal with it, um, which is, a substantial simplification, um, given that when you make large donations, you still have to get you have to get an appraisal and fill out forms and all this stuff to get the deduction itself. Um, the so that's a big thing, and that's something we do on ETH and Tezos and Polygon and Solana and Algo Algorand. Um, and with ETH, what's actually like when we generate. There's a there's a flow where you can generate a wallet to use based on the charity or cause fund you want to use. So we have like 10 or 15 different cause funds, which are like four, three, four, six different groups working on a specific issue, whether that's environmental conservation or hunger and homelessness or military and veterans issues or reproductive rights or whatever. Um, and so you, we can also just give you one wallet that then like splits across all the groups in that fund. Um, but but when you're generating a wallet through the NFT donations flow, um, it's like a slightly different type of wallet that's generated on the back end 
um, than when you just do like a main a donation because it's designed for then kind of ongoing use. Um, and and specifically with ETH, it generates a self-custody wallet because we have to be able to, like if anyone's going to do secondary royalties as well, we need to be able to take like WEF and USDC and, you know, because you, you'll wind up with like traces of random other stuff, random other tokens that people will take, you know, ape. Um, so my, and, my mind was blown by this concept and we'll have to talk a little bit later on about awesome. it. Yeah. Um, but can you also share with the 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 community what you guys are doing with some of the the NFT auctions? I, yes. I, I recently came into it, uh, you know, the last one that you did, and what you did was actually, in my opinion, next level. You know, it, it was really, really admirable what you guys did. Do you mind? Thank you. You're, are you, you mean the Fiona? Yeah. Well, yeah. Um, yeah. So, so the like, if we think of the kind of three forms of giving that we most often facilitate, it's like people who come in and want to make a donation of a, a coin or token that they possess. Um, it's facilitating creators allocating a portion of primary or secondary royalties to charity directly at the smart contract level. And then the third bucket is um, direct donations of NFTs, right? So that that involves um, you know, people, you know, like sort of transferring it to a wallet that we control. And like, that's the point at which the donation happens from your perspective as the donor. Um, and then we sell, we then offer. Um, and so the initiative that Jared was talking about is a few weeks ago, put together a, a charity auction for Hurricane Fiona relief. So basically, on, and on Tezos. So in a few different communities I'm in, um, a couple collector groups, a DAO, you know, all this stuff. Um, and then in the like FX hash discord and that sort of thing. It's basically just like trying to drum up support to say like, um, you know, if collectors or artists, if you're interested in donating a piece, um, we will be, uh, you know, what we're, what, what, what we're doing is auctioning off um, I'm going to basically organize an old, old school, like charity auction, uh, you know, for uh, like art, art charity auction, which is a, a time honored tradition. Um, but we're going to do it on OBJKT or object, which is like the main, it's a kind of like aggregator Tezos platform where you can sell tokens from any other, any, anywhere on Tezos. Um, and we'll set everything as a, a you know, 24 hour auction with a relatively low reserve uh, on a specific day. And so I forget, I forget exactly the day, um, but had about a, a week, I think maybe a little bit less, maybe less, maybe like three or four days of trying, of, of sort of trying to build support. Yeah. It must've been less. Cause it's like, it was like while the hurricane was happening was still, you know, so it was maybe like a two day turnaround. Maybe it was like on Tuesday, I was like, I'm going to build up support over the next couple of days and then run the auction on the Thursday. Um, and, you know, wound up, you know, wound up raising like 5k USD or so, or so, so like something like 3,500 Tezos, I think, um, split across three different organizations. So one was Tire Salud, which is a group working in Puerto Rico directly with communities, um, very local, like very effective group. Um, and then two groups, uh, direct relief and global giving that were doing relief efforts that were more focused on the broader region. So like P Puerto Rico, but also the rest of the Caribbean, which also got 
demolished, right? Like Dominican Republic and various other um, countries in yeah, the region. It's um, cool that you're you're able to facilitate because uh, there was some really great art in that drop. And yeah, there was. And it's really cool that you're able to facilitate, you know, a tax deductible event, but also getting a, a you know great art in in the in the process. It, it's something that really opened my eyes up to to what you were doing uh, and are doing. Excuse me. And, uh, you know, for everybody listening, you know, check it out. It, it was incredible. Uh, the amount of artists you, you were able to corral in such a short amount of time and then get art yeah. that uh, came out of it. So, you know, kudos yeah. to you and your efforts. It was Thank really you. awesome. And yeah, I mean, so there were there were one of ones donated directly by Zach Lieberman and Marcelo Soria Rodriguez, um, which I think like the two kind of biggest ticket items. Um but then there was a lot of a lot of stuff donated by other artists, lots donated by collectors. Interestingly, not one person cared about getting a tax receipt from their donation, which is fascinating um, because I think it, I think it, it's actually a really interesting circling back to our Tezos conversation and the degree to which it's like not really about the money. It's like most of the people, you know, that what they're donating was in the like, bet- you know, worth between two and one hundred dollars. And it's like, whatever, you know, the point isn't that I'm going to be able to deduct 40 bucks off of my taxes next year. The point is I'm like participating in this communal action and that's meaningful and, and I want to participate. Right. Um, and I, I think that's really interesting. Um, I tried something similar on ETH, uh, after the Uvalde school massacre, um, doing a fundraiser for every town for gun safety. And there were, a few artists who participated. So Matto donated several pieces. Ixnayoke donated several pieces. Um, and I think there's one other artist who I'm forgetting. Uh, and if so, I apologize to that person. And there were like, there's like one or two collectors who participated. But it, there there wasn't, um, and like total value was, you know, less than we wound up with in with the, the Tez one. But like, not as much less as you might think, because again, like, you know, it's those like art blocks pieces. And so the values are, are higher, but it was maybe like two grand from 10 pieces on every, on the every town one versus like five grand from like a hundred pieces on the test size or whatever. Um, but it, it was like, there wasn't, I had this sense on the test side that it was like a thing people were appreciative of and where both collectors and artists were like, interested in participating in some way. And it seemed like with ETH, there were like a couple of people who were very charitably inclined or very social good oriented who were interested in participating, but it wasn't like I was like, there was some kind of community oriented vein that I was tapping into um, in the same way, in a way that was like, uh, I think says, says a little bit about the difference between the the communities on the two chains. I'll say that's an interesting much, uh, data point to, to reflect on. I, yeah. I would have never even thought of bringing that up or even asking the question. I appreciate you sharing. It's also makes you kind of, you know, scratch your, well, you and I both have beards, scratch your beard and, and, and think, you know, that, that's an interesting social yeah. commentary. Yeah, sa- sadly, yeah. I can't grow a beard. But I wonder, <laughs> Simon, how much of that difference do you think could be attributed to gun laws and gun control being more controversial yeah. than hurricane or disaster yeah. release? It is very much not a perfect A-B test, right? It's like there's a lot of different factors at play. It's also like that was, I think, June, which was like not a not a fun time on the east side gen art market, right? Like 
people were like portfolios had been demolished the month prior. Right. And so like, I, you know, there was a lot, uh, it's, it is very much not something I want to extrapolate too much off of. I think it's interesting. It's, it's more, there was like, a just generally like a different, a different feel to the reception as opposed to of the, of the, of the kind of the concept and the idea rather than like data I'd want to take to the bank and is irrefutable. Yeah. Um, and I, I, I feel that cultural difference. Yeah. I'm, I'm sorry. Yeah. No. I, I, I agree with you. I get those same vibes from the yeah. te- FX hash Tezos side. I also wonder if people don't quite realize, honestly, the same way I didn't fully appreciate the math of this until this conversation. I actually listened to your podcast with, I think you're on two board apes, if I recall. Mm-hmm. Uh, and even then I didn't fully grasp the math, which is very compelling. I mean, you don't even necessarily have to be significantly charitable to want to do this, but perhaps some of those ETH folks didn't quite see the math. Well, but they also weren't, it's not actually tax advantaged to donate an asset that's lost value. Um, right. right. Like if, or something you've held for less than a year. So, you know, that's also like, it's just, it's, it's a whole different, if that's going to be important because the asset is partic- is more valuable or because you're more concerned about that or whatever, um, and everything's tanked, like it doesn't necessarily make sense to donate the NFT direct. Like if, if, if you have an NFT that you paid 10 grand for, and it, maybe it's a year later, but it's only worth three grand you are far better off selling it for cash, booking that $7,000 loss, and then donating the remaining 3000 Because if you don't, you can't actually book the loss. Like you can't, you right. can't, when you donate an asset, you can't book a capital loss in the same way. Yeah. And so like, you know, I, I, I it, it is not, I have no desire to like broadly cast dispersions on, you know, ETH collectors for being more conscious of this stuff. It's just like more more expensive assets, and so people are going to be less um, sort of free with them, right? Um, yeah, and it's a more dispersed community. I'm sure you were able to get the word yeah. out a little bit easier and, and all those things. And uh, trust me, I know about that booking the loss stuff. Uh, I think <laughs> yeah. all of us yeah. have probably oh, yeah. felt that pain. Oh, yes. Um, <laughs> done, done a lot of that. Um, there, and I'll there... say there's also there's, um, a very cool thing that is like I'm gonna I'm not gonna say specifics because we're like actively trying to get um, uh, media to there's like we're sh- shopping it around to media um, outlets to try and do an exclusive and get an actual piece, but there's like a very high value PFP that is going to be donated via us um, to a partner charity uh, next month, um, like in the 250k or so. Um, range um which which is like a tax it's like something that is in the money in terms of like the year time horizon and so there's like some tax benefits to the gift um and i think you know one of the things that is like that's really interesting to me is like when i started in when i started crypto for charity in april um there were very few NFT collections where holder where there's where there was a substantial number of holders who had purchased more than a year prior and were substantially in profit. There just weren't that many in where that had been around for more than a year in 
April of 2022, right? Punks, obviously. And like Bored Apes, I think, came out in April, I want to say, of of 21, right? So apes had just entered that that realm. But like the ape community isn't a terribly like so like it's not like a wildly social good oriented community in general, I wouldn't say. Um, it's not like a it's not a big there have been some great initiatives to come out of it, but it's not like something that I see particularly emphasized. Um and like you know, ringers had minted in February and like I mean, Squigs and like obviously some of the other early art blocks were somewhat in money, but in the money, but also a lot had, had fallen down. And then like over time, <laughs> obviously some function, some amount of these projects die off, but like over time, it, it's increasing the, the number of people who fall into the bucket of own have, have NFTs that they've owned more than a year that has substantially increased in value is increasing non-linearly, right? I don't know if it's exponential, but it's definitely non-linear. There's like a lot more people now than there were in April who that's true of. And I think, and that's going to increase, that's going to be more and more true over time. And so there's like, you know, an, an objective we have is like, try and get, try and be the ones that people come to for that and like, and help people just be aware of the option. Um, we're We're in an interesting marketplace as Crypto for Charity where um, there is a like, gig- you know, it, it's kind of like we're um, like we're trying to, to. We've invented a better facial tissue, but Kleenex already exists because there's this company called the Giving Block that is like much bigger than us and has been around for a couple years and is just the default. It's like who people think of for crypto charity stuff. And so we have like, to blip that name out. Who, yeah. So, uh, so no, we I mean, you, you can push it all your way. But it's like, but the thing is that like we have a better product, um, yeah. especially for users in the U.S., but not just for users in the U.S. Like they take three to five percent transaction fees on their, on the on their gifts, and they only facilitate donations to the two thousand or so nonprofits that pay them money every year, um, and so that's just a much smaller pool of potential recipients of your charitable dollars, right, or your charitable ETH, um, charitable GUE. And so, but like, and, you know, and one of the things that we are willing to do that they don't do as much of is the, like, the NFT donation thing. And that's something that we're prioritizing. But it's like, it's this interesting, it's this very interesting thing of like, it's not as though the crypto philanthropy market is like billions of dollars a year, um, but there's very much a sort of an uphill battle where we're fighting and trying to get Get folks to the, the the other platform that folks may have seen some of is called Endowment. Um, Artblocks tends to work with. It. We're also in the like options presented to Artblocks artists and stuff. Um, Endowment tends it charges a fee as well. It's just like a one point five percent fee, um, but they function as a as like individual donor advised funds. So like you, you know, if you don't know where you want to send your money, you can send it to an Endowment wallet at mint or when when you get the revenue and then like it just sits there and you can then decide what to do with it later but it's already been donated to charity from a tax perspective um whereas um for us we don't we don't we can't hold money indefinitely like that but it's zero fee right and so there's like it's 
Um, so, we're, you know, I think it's kind of, there's like an interesting comparison between the two there and like... Um, What's the fee for endowment? What is it? 1.5% comes off. Okay. It's like something like 1% when it goes in and 0.5% when it comes out or, or the opposite of that. Um, one of the two. So um, how are you all able to keep it at 0%? So basically, um, partners can pay to for um, custom tooling. So things like, uh, you know, a focused, like a, a, a page just for, to donate to them um, in crypto that they could link to or a the widget they can embed on their site that only features them um, and or like essentially consulting type services. Um, so like helping them think through how they can um, be more successful at crypto fundraising. Um, and the other thing is that like the, the broader company, Free Will, most of its money comes from, most of our money I guess, comes from nonprofits, uh, paying for feature ships, paying to be to be featured when someone is making their will and they say, yes, I want to donate to charity, you know, they can, as, as the will maker, you can say, you can put in any charity you want, but you'll be presented with some number of featured options based on where you are and blah, blah, blah. And that's something that partners pay, pay to be included in. And so, you know, if there's also substantial crypto revenue that we can help to drive to them, then that's like a nice value add um, for partners. But it's but like the, the main way in which um, the tool brings in revenue and value for the company is via the kind of additional stuff you can get beyond just what's on the, you know, what, like what you can do. But like any charity can direct a donor to just crypt to just like make a donation for cryptoforcharity.io and they'll get the whole thing. I'm incredibly excited about this space for you. I mean, like you said, the it's not linear, it's non-linear, but the amount of wallets that are going to have an asset over 12 months of, of hold coming up as you transition into this new year is going to be, I think this is a phenomenal, phenomenal option for um, for for any other listenership if you're looking to you know, offset any gains. I mean, this is a phenomenal... Yeah. It, yeah, it, and it's like, and you get to sleep at night knowing that you're doing the right thing. I mean, honestly, it's a it's a feel good. Uh, yeah, I mean, good thing. I mean, if you think about someone who, you know, there's lots of these people who like minted or very early on accumulated like 20 punks or whatever. Like, you can donate one a year, and just like immediately offset some substantial amount of your taxable income. Right? Um, you may prefer not to or whatever but like um it's it's certainly it's certainly an option it's an option it's a, it's a nice one to do some good and to like offset some taxes and i think that that's what's incredible is you're right yeah. you don't have to you're free to do whatever you want right like nfa yeah. all that good disclosure stuff but the reality is is i mean this is a feel good way to to share in the in in the process i, I don't know yeah. i i'm i'm enamored with it i think it's an absolutely like stunning uh business plan and it seems as though you guys are doing it uh at another level so and kudos Simon, i wanted to ask yeah. for people who want to donate uh two quick questions one are there any sort of country restrictions that need to be kept in mind and what types of nfts can people donate how do you think about you know i'm sure you don't just let any random thing in because i'm assuming you, you need to feel like you can at least go and sell it and turn that into actual U.S. dollars for these charities? Well, so 
so so there's no restriction on donor geography. Like anyone can anyone can donate to a US 501c3. Um it's there are other um there are other types of tax statuses that organizations with different purposes can have that do not allow like donations from anywhere, but for like a 501c3, which is like the pure kind of public benefit charity, anyone can donate and they can do so anonymously. Um, the geographic um, restriction we have is that we can only uh, grant money out to US 501c3s. And so that does include, there are a lot of global charities, like either global charities, which by which I would mean something like an Oxfam that has like branches all over the world. Obviously there's Oxfam America, right? So you can just donate to Oxfam America. There's also um, in, like international, like charities that simply are not domiciled in the US um, that, that may have a US partner entity that can accept money on their behalf um, and then send it to them. Like that would happen outside of us. We would just send it to the partner. But like there are there are a lot of, cha- of, of charities that are not in the US that like have ways of getting money from US entities. And so there, it may be possible to donate to them and you can just put in the memo line like this is for whatever or whatever. Um, in terms of restrictions on what people send in, I mean, certainly we can't restrict at all. It's the blockchain. You can send to... NFTs for charity.eth, whatever the fuck you want. Um, and when you've done so, you've made the donation. Uh, and you know, if you fill in, if you fill out the NFT donation form, we can send you a tax receipt if you want it. Um, the thing is, if it's if it's worthless, there's no tax deduction for you to claim. Right. So, like, uh, and because you can't book capital loss, it doesn't function as like you haven't sent it to the burn address. Like you should just send it to the burn address if it's actually worthless. And the point is to like get get a worthless NFT out of your wallet. Um, but like we would, we are we are far more interested in having the problem of too many donations than too few. Um, and like you know, like we will do what we can. You know, there's like there's an artist who has a collection that released a while ago on an open sea that nothing has sold of. And he like donated one of them. And so it was just listed and, you know, I doubt it'll ever sell, but like, whatever, it, you know, maybe so, it will at some point. So in that case, you as the donor cannot book the loss until that NFT actually does sell. Correct. Well, there's no or, loss. Sorry. Book. book the gain or, or, book the, the gain. Well, right, so, or, so, or offset the gain. So the, so, so there's a couple things worth, and this is, a, you know, we can stop if we're, we're going too long here, but there are a couple things worth teasing out there. As the artist, your, what you can and cannot deduct is different than as a collector. So if you, if someone paid an ETH for an NFT and they think it's, you know, and they want to donate it because they think it should sell for three and it's just like, whatever, they can donate it. You can donate it. And you can take the deduction for the fair market value at the time of donation, regardless of our success in selling it. However, you may need to defend that appraisal to the IRS. And so um, in most cases, we would recommend getting an appraisal. Like there are people, we you can, there are links on our website um, to people who do crypto appraisals um, and to who do NFT appraisals. And they, you know, so like if you donate a punk on a certain date 
they can look at like recent sales, you know, recent sales based on the most, you know, trait or whatever. And like, say, this seems like it's on this date, probably worth, I'd appraise it at this much. And that's the deduction you can take and defend. Um, and then if we hold on to it and don't sell it for three months, and then it goes way up or way down in value, that's irrelevant to the deduction you can take. Um, Got it. If, yeah. if you are Zach Lieberman and you donate a piece that you created to us, the only deduction you're able to take is your hard costs in creating the piece. So you could deduct your the minting costs, which on Tez are truly trivial, um, right? Or And if there was like software that you got specifically for that piece, you could deduct it. If there was, if there were hard, if, if, if it were a physical, if it were a scan of a physical, you could deduct the cost of the, of the paint and the brushes or whatever. But like, you can't actually deduct the value of the piece um, be, just because of the way tax laws around like creator property work. Um, and so because they, because he hasn't bought, it's just like, it's an in-kind donation of something he created. Um, because since he never got the income from it, he can't then deduct. You know, sure. Otherwise you can, otherwise artists could basically just like endlessly deduct income by releasing new pieces. Right. Um, right. That makes perfect uh, sense. So, so, so yeah, so that's the, that's sort of the two, the two considerations, but like anyone can donate anything and we'll, we'll deal with it. And if it doesn't sell, it doesn't sell, you know, whatever. Real quick. Yeah, Simon, so, I, I know you mentioned the little ones in your background. It, it's nap time officially in, in my household. So I, uh, I have to duck ahead, out for that, uh, uh, but I did I want can to finish say up, thank though. you. All right. Thank you. And great to, great to meet you, you know, in person on zoom. Jared. <laughs> Yeah, I'm yeah, looking it, forward to 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 interacting more, man. Honestly, yeah, Astum says has great things to say about you. Thanks. I'm hope hope half of them are true. Yeah, we'll, we'll talk to you soon, Jared. Talk to you soon. Thanks for making it work. I wanted to ask you, Simon. You know, we we yeah. at Collectors Corner donated an a drift. When uh, when might yes. we see that uh, coming up for sale, or do you guys have any? Um, yeah, I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna plans. list. So I'm I you know I've got um I I finally landed one of the basically we've got a bunch of pieces that are like that didn't sell in the first round, um and I finally got a uh, one of the bikers um pieces that unlock the like collector biker tools, um so I'm gonna transfer the that into the um into into my into the like NFTs for charity wallet um to be able to uh to be able to like do the batch listing and stuff of everything that's that's left. Um but it's it's one of those things that's like on my mind every morning and then I'm like racing at the end of the day. It's like ah shit, I'll get to it yesterday. We'll get to it tomorrow. So do you um, guys but, then have specific time periods where you'll say, okay, we're gonna have this two day period in which we're selling a bunch of pieces or whatever, or is it sort of an ongoing thing? Well so so we, 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 that's what I've, it's generally been like, yes, here, we're going to have this focused energy on the thing and do an auction. And then like anything doesn't sell, we'll just list at a reasonable, like I went through and we went through and, and tried to do another round of auctions and had pretty minimal success with that. And so now it's just a matter of like going through and, and listing things. Um, and I think especially with, you know, so much of the FX hash 
volume is just on FX hash doing it as an, as a, when there's not like a chunk of things, right. When there's a, ch- when there were a chunk of things in the wallet that were like FX hash pieces that I was able to drive people's attention to on a given day, there was like people checking out this set of FX hash items that were on au- available at auction on object. But I think just having one piece on an auction is like unlikely to move very much. Um, Right. So, well, just we'll just list it based on, um, based on like where where it seems like a kind of reasonable places to sell um, based on other traits and like without, I don't know. It's an interesting question of like the degree to which we want to, like having missed the kind of maximum attention window for the crisis and the initial auction. Do we want to list it at like below floor and like make sure we sell it, or do we want to list it for what seems reasonable and like if it sells in a month, it sells in a month? Um, it's kind of an interesting thing that I don't think we have a perfect answer for yet. Right, and I'm sure your expertise, like keeping a pulse on the market, could help say you know some of these pieces might actually be worth holding on to because we think there's potentially longer term value here. Yeah, some of them, maybe not. I mean, yes, it's true. I, th- you know, I think we we don't want to be in the business of like holding stuff long term and like custodying things for people. Um, but, uh, but yeah, it's. I mean, it's certainly true. Like, I don't, I don't want to like floor. Like, I think the drifts are fucking great, and so it also like hurt my soul a little bit to like undercut the floor just to move it quickly. Um, you know, but yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, this this is super cool. I wanted to ask you if you have a couple minutes, just kind of putting the collector hat back on now that now that sure. Jared's gone, so we don't have to share the alpha. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Obviously, this is being recorded. What else do you? And and by the way, at, at the end of the episode, we we'll, uh, want to hear like where everybody can find this stuff, where they can find you, et cetera. So we'll make sure, sure. to highlight all that. And we, you know, we're doing weekly episodes now, so whenever uh you have something up coming up just let us know we'll put it in the episode cool. we'll tweet it out all that stuff awesome and Thanks. if you have something bigger we can try to of course love to have you back on to talk about that uh just get, there's a little bit of lag time for getting uh, these longer episodes sure, out but yeah what do you what are you liking out there what what collections or artists do you feel comfortable highlighting both from the standpoint of you know maybe you don't want to lead people astray but also the standpoint of Perhaps you were working with folks and trying to secure certain things as well. Yeah, I mean, I I have gone, I don't know, I feel like I've sort of vacillated a little bit. I, I was initially thinking when I got um my like windfall from uh the Snowfro pass that I was I really wanted to try and put it into like one or two blue chip type things. Um, and I think I, I may have done so, but not really in the way I intended. Right. So like I had been thinking like, maybe I want to buy like a squiggle and, um, you know, something else, or do I want to focus on getting another GM or something? And I wound up getting like four Fontanas and, um, like a Jello, a Gello, um, one of one on super rare and winning a, like a couple of auctions for a couple, a few other one of ones on foundation and on first dibs um, and uh, going in on a, like some other, you know, I got like a bunch of graphemes, the Sarah Ridgely drop on FX hash. 
Um, and like, I don't know, it's this thing where, you know, you, you have some liquidity and then you intend to be responsible with it and then it all just evaporates. Um, and I've currently got like, I, I have, I have a squiggle in, um, in a, a loan on Niftify that I took out prior to the right moments, Mexico city auction in order to have, in order to sort of make sure I'd be copacetic there to mint out my max. Um, and the, uh, and so like, I, I have like a little bit more than I need to redeem that. Um, and so I'm trying to like do some short-term loans, <laughs> um, right now on Niftify to like, just get a little bit of yield on that ETH and keep it locked up <laughs> rather than, rather than having it to spend. Um, but like the, I mean, it's, I'm, I'm really looking forward to Mexico city, um, to the bright moments. You will be there. So I, so I will be there. Um, taking my kid, uh, taking my dad and my brother and my nephew are also coming down. Um, wow. we'll be at, where I mean, we're basically doing, it's like sort of an excuse for a family, family trip to Mexico city. Um, and then like I'll be I'll be spending some some days there and and with for the right moment stuff and whatever. But like I'm really looking forward to seeing what folks can release. I'm also really looking for I'm really hoping that um this can maybe herald a collection with a little bit more liquidity. Um I don't know, I'm not wildly optimistic that it will, but like it's really been pretty um it's been a shame to see collections like folio and off script um and 100 print and like i think all of those are i think fantastic collections but just to see them like bleed out with so few buyers um after has been a real shame and like so i'm hopeful that given how stacked the lineup is and how many great collections are being released that that'll start to shift um i think it will by the way i think it's more a sign of the market than the art I mean, I love folios. For example, I love hundred prints as well, yeah. and off scripts are fantastic too. In precision, in precision, there, there's so many that are really, really yeah. nice, and you know, fantastic works of arts from these top artists. I wonder, it, it, uh, not not to go too far down the rabbit hole in this, but I I just love your thoughts on the liquidity environment because what I feel like is that it's it's changing a little bit. I've noticed this. Noticing this in specific collections in FX Hash, for example, mm-hmm. uh, I think Grapheme is one that you mentioned there. Also, September we talked about earlier, but even Fontana that you were talking about. I mean, I'm kind of surprised that the floor is now almost three ether, and I think it yeah. ended at 0.4. Not not that long ago. I, I don't think it's even been a month, or maybe right around a month. Which... It's had some. It's had a bumpy road. Like it sort of shot up almost to there, and then it like has been it's had a couple of like rises and falls back down not not down to like to anywhere near mint price but it was like down closer to one a couple a couple times on its sort of spikiness yeah and i don't know if that is a sign that the market is turning back to having real liquidity in a way that we haven't probably had since maybe april i mean, I, mean I don't know it, it it reminds me a little bit of like late fall 2021 where you had your like i mean nothing nothing nearly so severe right but like fragments minted out at two and then skyrocketed to an almost 30th floor right um and then like slowly bled back out and now here we are again and it's like two or three um but 
I, I don't, I don't really feel like I have enough um, cycle experience to, to like to really to really be able to tell. I agree. It feels like there's signs of life. Like Fontana doing well was great. Um, Primitives has actually held up better than I was worried it would. Um, like I think you know it's, we're back up almost to a one eighth floor, oh, um, wow. which which was good because it seemed like that might just sort of bleed out um, a bit more. Sandalaya has not done as well. Like Sandalaya minted out at like 0.5 um, and it's either 0.3 something now, like low 0.3s. I wonder if that's because it doesn't have the curated brand. I mean, I think it's gorgeous art. Well, well, I think it's interesting that there's, there seems to be the return of the, like the full set collector meta thing, which was like, which I kind of thought we had like abandoned fully. When you know we got to set like series like six, seven, eight, it just seemed like, and also there were those series being, I think, pretty hit and miss. Um, like there was some, you know, some really good stuff mixed in with some like less collector friendly stuff. Um, without casting aspersions on any particular collection, like you can look at my gallery to see which I have. Um, but like, uh, you know, the. Yeah, that like that really took me by surprise. I think it was it was maybe foreseeable just because like as a consequence of the the ending of the curated series, the curated seasons, which like you know, if if in, like you know, I, I could see it being intentional on AB's part to have um ended the series before it truly got out of hand and like impossible for anyone to bother putting together a full set. Um, and also, it you know, it lines up pretty well with pre-merge, right? There's like two drops post-merge um, that are that are now in that complete set. But otherwise, it's like entirely pre-merge art blocks. And it's like, it's, it appears to be something, you know, the, the like elevated deconstructions as like full set chokehold meta is like fully back, right? And it's, don't get it, but uh, it's back, you know? And like, uh the that's cool and that may well be driving stuff it's all it also might just be there's like three people you know it might like how much of this is danny um which is to say seed phrase um i don't know him but he just goes by danny uh right um who dropped like 1700 eth or whatever on or 1300 you know some ludicrous amount of eth on art blocks just in the last week um that was so painful he he just like, yeah. ticked the all-time high anti-cyclone and i had sold yeah. it before for seven because honestly i just nice. didn't it was back in june yeah, yeah. and then he just bought yeah, it for 37 yeah. and i was like oh my god yeah but that's yeah and it's like there's just uh, i mean how much of it is is that how much of it is here to stay is this rally that we're in right now just a quick little pump because there had been so much negative expectations that so it kind of had to had to make a move the other way or is it durable are we actually coming out of something i don't know like it doesn't seem to me like the macro has shifted like we're there's still all these reasons to be to to expect some form of recession long term like this european winter is going to be fucking bleak um and like that's going to have knock on effects globally and like i don't know it, it's 
it, it definitely to... it seems like it seems like there is maybe some liquidity in some collections, but it also it still seems pretty spotty, I think, to me, right? Yeah. It's like people decide to go in, but then there's still like a slow bleed out in all the like I mean, the fact that contra contrapuntos, the floor is still 890. I looked earlier today. The floor is eight 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 hundred and ninety tests, which is like you know, it's basically oscillated between like not beneath that, maybe as low as like 850 and like a thousand as the floor for the last five months. Right. And it's like people buy a few people like, you know, and, and like, and yet the floor remains, it's like people keep listing into it. And so I think we're going to have, a. I think we're going to have a real, real problem of um, even as liquidity returns, people just listen to the pump. Right. And so like, there's, there's not the first time when we had that, when there was like the real parabolic run, the people who did really well partially did so because like most people didn't list into pumps. People just like thought it was going to go ever higher and didn't want to sell or didn't need to sell or whatever. And here we've, we've still got so many people who were so underwater on so many things that is like any sign of liquidity. And we, and it's true. When I saw Danny buying, there's a couple of pieces I sent back from my like cold storage into um, a wallet that is like still where I have higher value things, but what I, what I list from and like, and listed at, at prices that I don't anticipate selling, but it's like, Hey man, if you want to buy like the best edifice on the market, you can have it for 49 ETH, um, right. you know? And like, that kind of thing, people do that, and and then eventually, and like that's the thing. It's rational at the individual level, but it then it it like short circuits liquidity pumps because it means floors don't go parabolic. Yeah, um, I I am not a expert on market cycles either. I'm trying to get Bob Lucas here sometime to to talk about yeah. this, but I get the sense people that- pay good money for that alpha. Our alpha is free. <laughs> yeah, that's that's right, that's right. Although I I would love to hear his thoughts on NFTs as a yeah, I mean, market, like a much less liquid market than he's probably used to or definitely used to playing in. But I wonder. My sense is that people want to buy. I mean, okay, I'll talk about myself. I want to buy things, but my experience the last few months is once the money goes in, the liquidity is stuck, and yeah. I think just feeling confident that it can come back out is. Like once there's that feeling in mass, I think we'll see people starting to buy things that they like. You see it in squiggles. I mean, squiggles have stayed pretty liquid this whole time and are kind of marching up. And they probably have the strongest narrative around them of, of any of these yeah. collections in general. The other thing that I wonder is, I, I do think we need to see some top ticks. So I mentioned the anti-cyclone. It had been a really long time. I actually had the prior all-time high anti-cyclone sale, which happened mm. about a week after it launched. And it was a similar thing. It was 6529. He came and bought it. Obviously, like unlimited liquidity there. And it's just, I, I think that you kind of psychologically need to see it because you can look in some of these collections, it's it's kind of surprising. When you look at memories, I don't think there's been a sale of even 20 Ether. And, and it's a fantastic collection, but there's something where I feel like I'll see this as a signal that liquidity is back is once we start getting all-time high ticks in various collections yeah. that have kind of stayed range-bound. Yeah, I think that's right. Right, You'll see, um, you'll see, like, 
when when collections made major moves, it's like usually the and you saw this. I think the the last time I can really remember this was well September a little bit, but also GM, right? It's like the someone came in and bought paid seventy five thousand Tez for a pink guard monoliths, and that then like set off a big a big leg up from the like. 12k range to the like 25k range as the floor right and so i think i think it's well observed that like you know and and they they both reinforce each other right you don't have that happen unless there had been a bunch of closer to floor purchases um but it's like you see some energy closer to floor and then someone feels just feels like it's maybe they're leading the pack a little bit but like they're set they're calling the shot and they're like raising the ceiling that then raises the floor. But like uh it doesn't seem to be happening these days so much. And not as much. Yeah. And like, and when it does, it's like the fuck? Rather than like <laughs> yeah. which was the basic reaction to Danny's purchase of that anti-cyclone for 37 ETH. Um, you know, there was there was a lot of side eye there because it's like not expected. Not what I would have spent 37 ETH on, I'll tell you that much, right? Um, but like the, but it also, you know, it's, it, it is what it is. And that's people coming in and, and doing that. Um, I think, and like, you see a lot of that in, there's like record setting one of one sale, right? Omenta Hovem in had a 33 ETH sale on super rare last week. Um, which was like interesting because it was like basically someone buying two one of ones. Cause like it was a bidder's edition and they just, bid the precisely right <clears throat> the precisely correct amount to dissuade anyone else from bidding and making it a two of one mm-hmm. um uh but like it's um yeah it's it's like it's it'll it, i i agree i think it's well observed and i think there's like um it's it's a really good it's it, it is a good thing to watch for the collections it is not always the right thing to watch like gazers i think is a really good um counterpoint where like the all-time high of gazers is like not that far off of current floor compared Mm. to other top collections like if you look at the spread between all-time high versus floor on meridian or ringers or subscape or archetype or whatever it's like way bigger than gazers like i think gazers all-time high is like 30 or something or maybe it's it's certainly less than 50, right? Versus right. A, a floor now of almost 15, whereas you have ringers that have sold for 2,100 ETH and you have charcoal meridians that sold for, or several meridians have sold for 200 plus. And like, you know, it's just well, like a, totally a much more compressed. Really? I, I swear I've seen some in the 800s. But yeah, your, your point is is well, very, very well taken. And, you know, hopefully we do get to see some liquidity here pretty soon and that'll cross over to our NFTs and then into crypto for yeah. charity. So you're right, 200 was, was the, the top tick for Charcoal Meridian. Um, but what, let me let me get you out of here. Uh, where can people find you and where would you like people to go to learn more about and or participate in crypto for charity? So... Um... I'm on Twitter at zero X Simon says um, I am on discord at Simon says uh, pound zero six, seven, zero. 
you know, except no, except no imitators. Um, and uh, crypto for charity is crypto for charity, all, all letters dot IO. Um, and, uh, and our, that, that Twitter handle wasn't quite available. And so our crypto is like, it's like crypto, the, the letter, the, the number for charity and then an underscore. Um, but you can find it. I like have retweeted us a bunch and it's in my profile and in my, in my bio and all that sort of stuff. Um, I also what? have a bunch of galleries on Deca. Um, not all of which are super well-maintained, but um, I have a, a Grails gallery that is like pretty up to date, but I have to add some of my recent purchases. My Gello needs to go in there. Um, and uh, um, and if you are trying to wallet snoop me um, and and check out my collection on OpenSea or whatever, um, the you can see in my OpenSea profile, um, you can see there's a link to the wallet where I actually keep most of my collection, um, which is not linked or named or anything like that on, or it's not, it's not named or that has nothing identifiable on OpenSea itself. Um, Cause I it's not connected to any contracts. Amazing. Well, thanks so much for taking the time and for really getting into the details of, of how it all works. I think it's like Jared was saying, it's an amazing service. I'm, Thank Super you. intrigued. I'm going to go build an Excel model now to understand what my donations could be like. But I think it's an excellent toolkit in collectors. Well, an excellent tool in a collector's toolkit, both for the donation side of things, but also for checking you guys out and seeing what's out there. I mean, yeah. I know that you had some fantastic work out there that was, I would, in my opinion, far below market value, especially some of those one of ones. So awesome. I think it's wonderful you. that you're doing it. And not only doing it, but doing it at a high level, right? Like getting, you know, you don't, I don't feel like uh, people purchasing these are taking a hit, you know? So it's a really win-win. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, um, cool. Awesome. Well, All right, thank you. Well, it was wonderful to, wonderful to chat. Uh, and I'll see you in Mexico City, if not before. Um, yes, I'm so excited. Uh, Can't yes, wait. Uh, me too. Mexico City is awesome. Uh, and everybody. One of, my, one of my favorite cities. I've never uh, yeah, been. I, Oh, it's it's. I have like, back in the Greenpeace era, I basically had a bunch of meetings and did some work with Greenpeace Mexico, and we hosted some the sort of unit I was a part of hosted some stuff there. It's like one of my one of my very favorite cities. Um, haven't been, I don't think, since 2017. Um, so eager to be back, but, um, you know, like I have my the taco the taco stand. I know I'm heading to first in Coyoacan and and that that sort of thing. Um. <laughs> and ha- happy to happy to share share some of that alpha uh offline absolutely uh, absolutely but. well well thanks again my friend and everybody tuning in thanks for listening we'll link everything to the show notes and yeah we'll, we'll see you next time thank you for tuning into collector's corner we really appreciate you taking the time to listen if you like this episode and want to help us out please subscribe and leave us a review on your podcasting platform of choice like apple Podcasts, and spotify and follow us on youtube please also follow us on twitter for announcements as we expand to other social and content platforms our twitter handle is at collectors underscore xyz we'd also love to hear any feedback you have so please comment or reach out we're always striving to be more useful and get better so we can help you in your collecting journey 
The Collectors Corner team and their guests are not registered investment advisors. All views expressed on this podcast are personal opinions and are not specific inducements to make particular investments or investment strategies and should not be relied upon for investment decisions. This show is solely for informational and entertainment purposes only. Before making any financial decisions, please consult a professional.